Moms are extremely important. We celebrated that on Mother's Day, and we emphasize that on a regular basis, but so are dads. And we lift that up today. And so I want to thank you men for being here. I pray this will be a message that will encourage all of us, whether you're a man or a woman, a dad or not, or a mom or not, that we can lift our eyes beyond the things of this world to the one who created this world and what he has revealed about himself to us and the relationship that he wants to have with us. You know, thinking about Father's Day and over the years, many different people I've talked to and listened to, some of us have had dads that have been involved in our lives and very supportive and encouraging, and that's a great thing. Unfortunately, some have had dads who haven't been able to be there for them, whether it was by choice or through death or a circumstance that happened. Sometimes dads get caught up in their jobs and traveling, and they're not able to be there like they would like to be for their families. And then some have dads that are just harsh and overbearing, demanding, and even abusive. But no matter what your experience has been like with an earthly father, the Bible is full of examples of all of these types of fathers. And what we want to do today is to take a look at what the Scripture teaches us about God as the one true father in heaven and the relationship again that he wants us to have with him and then how he wants us as dads to model that for our families and in the world. You see, God is not just like a father. God is the father. Jesus Christ teaches us this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, where he says, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Now, that might sound a little strange, like a strange thing to say is it's like, well, does that mean I'm not allowed to call my dad father? That was not the point that Jesus was making. He was helping us to understand that the originator of all things, the progenitor of all things is God Almighty. And in that respect, when you think of the word father, that's literally what it means. A father means initiator, originator, a progenitor. And so God is the initiator of all things. Take a moment and just think about that and and the profoundness of that statement. Because everything we know has already been in existence. And when we came into being, we have a beginning at our, at our conception and, and then our birth into the world and then at our death. Everything we know has a beginning and an end. And yes, for those of you that are worried about time, this sermon has a beginning and it will have an end. So, <laughs> but everything we know is in this concept of time. But think about it. God created all things. And do you know what that means? God actually created time. That's what it means that God is eternal because he just has always been and he is the originator of all things. So he was the one that even said, you know what? As I begin to create matter and energy and all of the substances of the physics of this universe, I'm going to also make a way to measure that. And so I'm going to create time in a way that we can measure that, in a way that my creation can measure that and operate within it. But see, he is beyond all that because he even created time. This is one of the wonders of the amazing thing about God and who he is. He's awesome. 
He's the only one that truly deserves that word spoken about him. We say a lot of things are awesome, and I use that sometimes, but God is the only one who truly is awesome. (laughs) So he is the father. Not just like a father, he is the father. Now, Jesus is speaking here in the ultimate sense, and the reason we know this is true, what he says about God as the father, is he also says this about teachers, In Matthew chapter 23, verses 9 through 10, I think you'll see it on the screen there. Jesus goes on as he's teaching this, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Again, the initiator, the originator of all things. There's only one, and and he's it. And then he goes on in verse 10, and he says, And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Again, Jesus, Messiah, this one that the Old Testament proclaimed and prophesied about as God's Spirit revealed it to the prophets, said there would be one who would come into the world, who would come into this creation that he made and become part of it, and then he would teach us all things, help us to understand about the Creator. So Jesus, in the ultimate sense, is saying, really, here on earth, nobody should really be called teachers because really there's only one ultimate teacher and that is messiah the christ god in the flesh with us teaching us all things about his creation and this relationship that he wants to have with us and obviously as jesus was saying that he was talking about himself now again it's not to say that you can't call somebody a teacher but he's wanting us to see that it all flows from the authority of the father and the teacher And we need to make sure that we're aligning ourselves with with what we are being taught. Verse 11, Jesus goes on and he says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Think a moment about the wisdom of this. Whether it's in your home life, with family, with friends, with co-workers, in the church, in the world, if we all had the attitude of a servant, what that means is I'm going to look at you, no matter who you are, and I'm going to say, how can I help you? What can I do to help you along through life? That's the heart of a servant. And if you have a heart of a servant, you would look back at me and say, well, you could help me in this way, but how can I help you? And we would look at each other and we would all be looking around saying, how can I help you? What can I do to help you? What can I do to make your life better? That's really the way God designed this world to work. But there's another voice that comes in that's not of God. And that other voice comes in and says, you can't trust anybody. you got to look out for yourself. you got to look out for number one. And number one is not God and it's not the other person. Number one is you. Because if you don't look out for yourself, who's going to look out for you? And then we begin to get selfish and we begin to get greedy and it's look out for me and I got to watch out for myself and I got to protect myself and I got to claw my way to the top and there you have it our culture today it's not built the way that God designed it to be built it's built on selfishness and all of these things because the world has been listening to the voice of another father not God the father the question is which voice are you listening to so Jesus says we need to make sure that we're keeping our lives in proper perspective and alignment with the Father who brought all of this and all of us into being. In the Old Testament, God began to reveal himself 
to the world as a father. And he did it in various ways, but most specifically, the reason why a lot of the Old Testament revolves around the nation of Israel is because God was using in history a group of people that he was trying to teach all of us about this relationship that he wants to have with us as a father who loves and is acquainted and wants to help his people, his society. And it started with a man named Abraham. And Abraham believed God's promise to him that through him he would be able to raise up a great nation even though at that time when the promise came to Abraham he's childless. Abraham just simply trusted God, believed what God had revealed to him. He obeyed God and the Bible says that God credited that to Abraham as righteousness because he was rightly aligning himself with what God had said and he just wanted to faithfully walk that out. And that's never changed. It's what God still wants us to do today. He wants us to live by faith And by what he says, not what the world says. So Abraham did that, and eventually there was a son of promise that came uh, through the son Isaac. And then Isaac had children, and then from those children, those 12 sons, 12 tribes came ultimately and became the nation of Israel. As you study that nation's history back and its, its roots. So... God has begun to reveal himself as a father to the nation of Israel. And I'll give you the scriptures here in a moment. But then God also, fast forward to the New Testament, God demonstrates his fatherhood in his relationship to Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, God demonstrates his fatherhood to us in the world in his relationship to believers in Christ in the New Testament church. So there is an opportunity for all of us, no matter what your background, your, your racial uh, distinctions, all of that stuff, there is an opportunity for all of us to have God as our Father. The question for us today that I want you to really consider and ask yourself the question, it may surprise you, but we all need to ask ourselves the question, is God really my Father? So let's look at the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, God is speaking to Moses, and Moses goes to Pharaoh because the nation of Israel at that point in their history had been held in captivity and slavery in Egypt, a culture that did not believe in God. They had their own gods, their own religion, their own way of living, and they were not congruent with God's way of living. And so God said, I want you to lead my people out of there. And this is what he says in Exodus 4.22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So even though he doesn't use the word father there, there's the connotation. I am a father to this nation. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. There's the key. Why did God want to free the nation of Israel? Not so they could just live their own way, make up their own laws, their own rules. No, you are my children. I am your father, and I want you to live according to my ways. I have a plan for a healthy society, and I'm going to help you to learn that, and I want to demonstrate through you to the world what a healthy society looks like. And thus the journey began. He led them out of Egypt with many miracles and signs and wonders. He gave them the... Ten Commandments, and many others that were laws for them to form a healthy society. And he did lead them into that land that he had promised, and they became a great nation. Actually, a nation that was displaced 
from their geographical location on more than one occasion, and to this very day, they still exist, and they're back in their homeland, and you can watch it on the news all you want, talk about Israel all the time. This is one of the clues that God gives us, that his word is true, and he is real, and he is part of history, and he will continue to be. So don't buy the lie that the Bible is made up or it's in the past and it's not all really true and it's just all like fables and fairy tales. Don't buy that lie. If you study history, you study the scriptures, you're a serious student of archaeology and all of these things, you'll see that the Bible continually, as they're making discoveries, um, is showing itself to be historically true. So then through Jesus Christ, let's fast forward now to when Christ came into the world. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, this is when Jesus was baptized. And it says this, when he, Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So now we see God revealing himself as a father to Jesus and then ultimately through Jesus to the world. I want to take a moment here. For some of you, this is familiar territory, but for some of you, this may not be. And I was reminded of it again in the first service. I had some folks tell me after the service was over that they had not heard this analogy that I've shared in the past. So I want to share it again with you. Some of you may say, this is redundant. I know this, Mark. Well, good. Then hopefully you'll use it to teach others. But if you haven't heard this yet, I hope it will be helpful. How in the world can Jesus be God and yet be the Son? How can Jesus be on earth and come out, out of the water and yet there's a voice from heaven and then the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove? I don't get this whole thing about one God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this triune nature. Because in the Scripture, you'll never see the word Trinity mentioned. You'll never see that word in scripture it's not there but the concept of the triune nature of God is and one of the things over the years that has helped me is just a basic analogy of a three-leaf clover if you see there it's a very common object you can see them in your yard you probably see them out here on the church grounds when you go out but you find a three-leaf clover and if you look at it it's one clover but on that one clover there's three leaves each leaf is the same, the same substance, the same everything, but yet it's unique. And it has its own part in the one clover. So for me, to help me understand this concept at Jesus' baptism, so here is God the clover. I don't mean to sound patronizing, and God, you know this. I'm, so, but here's God in heaven, and one of those leaves of the clover comes down into the creation that he made. And he entered into Mary's womb. Mary became pregnant, not because she had been with a man, because she had not been with any man. There was no human male seed within her. But because God is Father in heaven, the progenitor, the initiator, the originator, he could do that. And in a, so in a miracle, Mary, a human being, began to bear within her womb God. So it was like one of those clover leaves come down now and begin to take up residence in Mary's womb. And he began to grow and form in the body and took on flesh, just like we all do in the womb of our mothers. 
And then he was given birth into the world. So now he's still God the Father, but he's also now born into the world. So he's the Father and he's the Son because he was born into the world, this thing that he created. And now he's not only fully God, but he's also fully human. So he is the only one that can rightly bring us into relationship with each other. He's the only one that can take sinful humanity and bring us into relationship with a holy and righteous God because he's both. So he's born into the world, and then at his baptism, he is identifying with the message of John the Baptist saying, repent, get ready. God is doing a new thing. He's going to establish his kingdom. It's going to come through this Messiah, this Savior that we've heard about. The Savior is Jesus. Jesus said to John, I want to be baptized. John said, I, you, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus said, just do this to fulfill all righteousness, because again, Jesus was without sin. And he was identifying with the message of John the Baptist. He wanted people to know, yes, John's message to you is true. And that's going to be really important here in a moment when we look at the scriptures. And so as Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water, now here's this other clover leaf of God, if you want to follow that. The Holy Spirit is now coming down and ascending in the form of a dove. It didn't say it was a dove, just kind of gentle and in the form what, what the Holy Spirit looked like or how he was manifested, we don't know. But there we have, in that one moment, the triune nature of God all present. But here's the thing I want you to get from this. Again, in this pivotal point in the world's history, God was revealing himself as Father. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes a step further, and then God reveals to us through Christ how any single one of us can become a child of God, truly a child of God, not just because he created us, but literally in relationship with him, a forgiven, restored state where we're in right relationship with him and it's through believing in Jesus and what he has done for us. And this is where the apostle John writes about what John the Baptist and Jesus said and did. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we see, and this is a letter that John wrote. He says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. It's amazing. And then the Apostle John also writes, and he records the prayer of Jesus when Jesus was praying not only for them, for him as an apostle and the other apostles alive at that time, but Jesus was praying for you and I here today. And you say, Mark, how, what do you mean he was praying for us here today? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. I do not pray for these alone, the apostles at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I today. I'm here today because I believe the testimony of those apostles back then and all those who have followed and taught about Christ through the generations. I'm here today because of their testimony and because of Christ. Hopefully you are too. And it's because Jesus prayed for us. I pray not only for those, uh, these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. When his disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray because, man, you, you pray like nobody we've ever heard before. And we want to learn to pray like you. The first thing Jesus said is when you pray, pray in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, 
Holy is your name. Jesus is the one that began to teach us again and reinforce this idea that God is not just some distant, almighty God that created us and walked away, but he desires to be in a constant relationship with us as a loving father wants to be in relationship with his children and with his family. And so he says, when you pray, get the right attitude. God is near. He is your father. He loves you. So address him that way. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. Now, the Bible teaches that there's something that must happen in each of us individually, though, before we can truly call God our father. And that is we must believe him and we must receive his son, Christ, into our life. Let me personalize it for you. If you want to know that God is your father, you must personally believe Christ is God in the flesh, the son of God. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again. And you've opened your life and you've received him into your life. Here's the evidence from the scripture. More than one scripture today I could give you, but I just want to stay with the gospel of John. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I encourage you to open up your scriptures and look there. But I'm going to have a couple of key passages on the screen to highlight it. But listen to what the apostle John writes as he walked with Jesus, learned about Jesus, and what he saw in Jesus. He writes this, In the beginning was the Word. That's like a capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So now we've defined there's God and there's this thing, this something, this someone that's identified with God that's called the Word that that is the same as God and was with God in the beginning and everything was created through God, through the Word. And then on down in verse 10 of John chapter 1, it says this, He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Again, talking about Christ. Christ has come into the world. He's given us every evidence. He said, this is who I am. This is what I've done. I love you. I'm the Father. I'm the Son. I'm at all. I want you to embrace me. I'm offering forgiveness and grace in a relationship with you. But there are many who reject that message today. There are many who don't believe in Christ, don't believe, don't take God at his word. And so they, they may feel and believe that somehow when they die, they're going to the dwelling place of God. But by their very actions, they've rejected the true Father, the true God. And by rejecting him, they're not going to be part of his family, not part of his dwelling, which is heaven. Oh, everybody wants to think about going to heaven when they die. But if you're not in a relationship with God now here on earth, why would you want to be in a relationship with God when you die? There's not going to be some amazing thing that all of a sudden your mind is changed on the moment you die if you're already dead. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to make the decision. Now is the time to decide, is God really my father in heaven or is he not? Who am I listening to? Am I listening to God as my father or am I listening to another father, another voice in the world? Because there is another one and you're going to see it in just a moment from the scriptures because Jesus very clearly pointed who that other father is. And we need to decide who we're going to listen to and who truly is our father. Though God is the father, 
Many have turned from the true father to a false father. So Jesus says, he came unto his own and his own received him not, but here's the good news, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The point is, if you want God as your father, and if God truly is your father in heaven, then you will submit to him. You're not going to try to convince him of your way, and you're not going to ask God to be on your side. You're going to say, God, show me what I need to do to get on your side. Show me what I need to do to be part of your family. How do you want me to live since you're my true father? And then in verse 14, now Jesus, well, John defines who this word truly is. And of course, it's Christ when he writes this in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, that thing that was with God in the beginning and was God in the beginning and through who all things were created and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. (laughs) And we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness. This is the Apostle John now writing about John the Baptist. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reveals the true Father in heaven. The question is, do you believe it? Will you receive it? Are you open to knowing who your true Father is? Then in verse 18, it says this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son of God, the Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him might sound like a strange statement, but bosom, that word in the Greek that's translated into English as bosom, literally it's the space between our arms. So it's it's like our chest area. And, And it's a beautiful picture here. It's saying, here is God, and in this amazing relationship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there's this triune nature of God, and he's extending his arms out now to the world. And he's saying, I'm releasing the most dearest part of me into you. And I have my arms extended because I want you to respond to that. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my all. I'm giving you my life. It's what Jesus said when he came into the world. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and I've come to show you his love. And when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and he was nailed to the cross, again, there's that image of God just opening up his heart and saying, I am pouring out my heart for you. I am your father. I want to be your father, and I want you to respond to me as a father who loves you. And then Christ, not only when he died, he conquered death, rose again to show that he is God. But this is the image, and and so Jesus is revealed to us, God is a loving father. Now, here's the truth, though. Though God 
created fatherhood, and he is the father, not everyone accepts Yahweh God as their father. So that might surprise you. And here's the questions that you need to ask yourself. Jesus had a discussion one day with some people who thought they and God were were good. We're good. And Jesus helped them to realize something about themselves that made them realize they were not good with God. They were fooling themselves and they were deceived. It's found in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 47. So again, I encourage you to look at the scriptures for yourself. This passage I'll read in the New International Version. But follow along whatever version you have. And again, I'll just have a few verses highlighted on the screen. Jesus had been talking about God as Father, everything he was doing as he was coming into the world to represent God to us. And it says this in John chapter 8, verse 30. Even as he spoke, as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So there's question number one. Do some of you consider yourselves to be disciples of Jesus? Here's the test for you. Are you learning from Jesus every day? Are you studying his word and his teachings every day? Are you aligning yourself with what God's word teaches and what God's word says about how to live, what to do, what not to do, and implementing that in every area of your life? Because if the answer to that is no, Jesus didn't say, if you listen to my teachings, it's okay if you don't do it, just as long as you're listening to it. I don't really expect you to live up to it, because you know, who could ever live up to all that stuff? He didn't say that. He said, if you what? If you hold to my teachings. Holding means not just holding it out here. It means I'm taking this on. I'm going to learn every day. I'm going to put it into practice. I am keeping the teachings of Christ. And Jesus, I need your help. So help me walk through this life and live in a way that honors you. That's what a true disciple is. If you don't believe that, try going to Marietta College or WVUP or Ohio University in Athens or any university and enroll as a student, but never attend class, never study your material, never do anything that the coursework says, and see if you're going to get a diploma. They just laugh in your face. They're like, you are not a student here. You might have enrolled, but you're you're not making it. And yet, why do we do that in the church? We think, oh, well, I prayed a prayer 40 years ago, and I accepted Jesus. I've lived like hell and lived like the devil ever since, but I'm good because I prayed a prayer 40 years ago. You're being deceived. And I say this in love. I'm saying the words of Jesus. These aren't my words. So consider this coming from Christ to you. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That should give the church some clarity today in our cultural confusion. Everything the culture says to the church, that you're on the wrong side of history and you need to get with the program and you need to do this and you need to do that and you all are a bunch of bigots and you're this and you're that. Well, you know what? Jesus said, or or the people said a lot of that to Jesus' face as well. When he hung on the cross, they spit in his face. They mocked him. Get used to it, church. But if you're really a disciple of Jesus, you're going to hold to his teachings and you're not going to let this other voice, this false father, deceive you. And now we're going to clarify it. If you haven't already figured out who this false father is, Jesus points it out. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We sang that in a song a little bit ago. 
And that was not a political statement. Jesus was talking about a thing in your spirit and in your soul. And here's what people did then when they heard Jesus said that. They answered them and they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. Because in that time in their culture, they hadn't been enslaved in Egypt. It had been centuries since they had been slaves. So they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean being set free? How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Ouch. Uh-oh. Now is that speaking to anybody? But what do we do? We play with sin. We're good. We got it under control. I mean, I go to church once a month or two. Um, I pray when I'm upset and I need something. I read the Bible when I get the time. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What has control of your life? Is it Christ or is it something else? You're a slave to that. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, Jesus Christ, sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And then Jesus said this, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Here's checkpoint number two for us if we claim to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. How much room in your life, in your day, in your spirit, in your mind, how much room are you giving to his word versus what you're allowing the world to put in your mind? There's another checkpoint. Is God your father really? in heaven or not? Is there another father you're listening to? Jesus goes on and he says, I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things that Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God... Abraham did not do such things. So here again is a checkpoint for us today. Are we going to believe what the scripture says and what Christ has said about life and godliness and forgiveness and salvation and how to live? Or are we going to listen to what the culture says and what our denomination says or whatever religious institution you have? Who are you listening to? And then Jesus says this. Well, um, actually, when when he said, you're doing the things your own father does, this is their response. We're not illegitimate children. They proclaim the only father we have is God himself. Here it is. Who are you to say such things? You offend me. I don't like that. I want you to be quiet. We have God as our father. I mean, we know the way. Does it really matter what you believe? As long as you believe, we're going to heaven. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Whoo! There's another checkpoint. Do you really call God your father? Do you think he really is your father in heaven? Then you better be loving Jesus. Because Jesus is the son. He's the father in the flesh. You cannot claim to love God and not truly love Jesus. Which means, again, more than just mouthing it, but living it. And having him in your life. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he has sent me. 
Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And now Jesus says it. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. The scripture tells us clearly in Galatians, in many different ways, but in Galatians particularly, it lines out for us the evidence of Christ's spirit in your life with God as your father truly and his spirit living and dwelling in you versus basically Satan as your father and all of the things of Satan that he brings about. And Galatians says, here's the lust of the flesh, here's the things of the world, selfishness, greed, anger, bitter, bitterness, hatred, all of these things. That's what your father, the devil, offers you. Oh, he may offer some, throw in some little pleasant things now and then to keep you feeling good so he can just keep leading you down the wrong path. But here's what your true father in heaven offers you through his spirit. It's in Galatians. I believe it's Galatians chapter 5 if you want to check me on it. And if I'm wrong, tell me. But the fruit of the spirit that you have God as your father is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. Sounds like a pretty good father to me. Sounds like the kind of family I want to be in. Who is your father? Who are you allowing to be your father and who are you responding to? Then Jesus says, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So I ask you a question today. Is God your father in heaven? John writes this in John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. And again, if this doesn't drive the point home, I don't know what else will. Philip, who had walked with Jesus for a long time, this is before he went to the cross, and Jesus was, was teaching. In fact, it was the part where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know, and Then Thomas, one of his disciples, said, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, when Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about some warm, fuzzy, hey, y'all, I'm going to go up in heaven, and I'm going to start for generations. I'm going to build all these rooms, and I'm going to make this awesome place for you to live so you all can just live down here however you want. And then when you die, you're going to go be with me. That's how a lot of people interpret that. But when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you know what he was talking about? He was talking about the cross. When he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he was talking about, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to give my life. I'm going to suffer and die because I want you to know how much I love you. I'm going to demonstrate it. But don't let your heart be troubled. 
Don't be afraid. You're trusting God, so trust in me because I'm God in the flesh. That's ultimately what he was saying. And I'm giving my life for you, but I'm going to conquer death so that in me you can have life and a relationship with me. I truly am your father in heaven. Come to me, believe in me, trust your life to me. That's what he meant. I truly believe when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's what he did. But the disciples didn't get it at the time. And in fact, right after he said that, here's what Philip, another one of his apostles who had walked with him and seen miracles, he says this in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him in our vernacular, seriously? (laughs) Really, Philip? Seriously, you're asking me that? But here's how he responded. Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me uh, does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. In these three verses, eight times... The word father is mentioned. Do you think God wants you and I to understand that he loves you and he wants to be your father in heaven? He is absolutely the father. He gave you life. But will you respond to what he has done? So I wrap it up with this. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And when it says sons, it's talking about sons and daughters to be his children. This is the beauty of the scripture. It describes a spiritual dynamic when you truly give your heart and life to Jesus and you open your life up to Christ and say, Jesus, I believe you. Forgive me of my sins. I'm a mess. Please come in. Forgive me. I need your spirit in my life. I receive your spirit. Help me cooperate with you. Help me change my life. That's what repentance means. It's just being willing to say, the direction I'm headed is disaster. So, Lord, I'm done with that. I'm ready to turn a new direction. Please come into my life and help me turn that new direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not praying a prayer, believing in Jesus, and keeping on going the path that you're on. Repentance is a willingness that you're sick of being sick, you're sick of the direction you're going, you realize you're totally lost, and you need a Savior. You need someone to bring you out of it. And then when you put your trust in Jesus, His Spirit comes in, and there is a spiritual dynamic that happens in your your soul and your spirit that is a spiritual birth. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. All I can tell you is I've experienced it. I remember the the moment that I did that. I gave my life to Christ. And I made mistakes after that. And and I've had my share of sins and struggles. But I tell you what, I started on a new direction that day because Christ came into my life and he did a work in me that I can't do for myself. And he started me on a new path and a new journey. And I'm still living that out and walking it out. But I'm seeking to follow him. That's what he wants from all of us because he wants us to truly be in relationship And learn from him. Be a disciple. Cooperate with his spirit. And then he gives us, so he gives us that idea of being spiritually born into the kingdom. But then he gives us this other wonderful word of adoption. So you may feel like, well, gee, you know, God God would really want me and his family. Yes. He says, I want to adopt you. You were not mine, but you're going to be mine now. And I'm going to take you in as one of my own. I'm adopting you. 
And we need to respond to that adoption. So that's what this is talking about. Anyway, it goes on and says, and because you are sons or children, God sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That literally is a picture of like a little child running to their dad. And for me, when I think, my kids are all grown now, adults, all of that, but I still have such fond memories of when they were little and I'd be working on something and I'd be all involved, but boy, all it took was to hear a little voice, Daddy, Daddy, and I'd hear pitter-patter of little feet and I'd turn around and there they are and they come up to my leg and they want my attention, man, it's like, okay, what, what do you want? I put all that aside and I give my attention. Or I'd be sitting at home in a chair and Bethany, when she was a little girl, she'd come up to me and, Daddy, man, I took her right on my lap and I sat there and I hugged her and we talked. Awesome. That's the kind of relationship that we get in this picture here that God has for you and I. He says, in Christ, if you'll respond to my love, you could call me Daddy. I want to be that close with you. I love you this much. Because your children, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba. That, that word literally means daddy. Daddy, father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So I leave you with this question today, and it's one that really only you can answer. Is God your father in heaven? If he is not, he can be, and he wants to be, and he will be. But you must do what the scripture says. He came into his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. There it is. If you want God as your father, all you got to do is say yes. Respond to this adoption, this birth that he offers you. And embrace him because his arms are out to embrace you. He gave us the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Would you stand? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's, just, it's amazing to me. <laughs> it really is amazing. You who are so awesome and beyond all things and beyond our understanding, you created all things. And you give us the privilege to call you Father. Not just Almighty God, not some distant being, but intimately to say, Daddy. Thank you for sharing this message with me once again today. Thank you for reminding me of the value of fatherhood and the opportunity to have you as a father in relationship because of your great love poured out toward me and all of us here on this earth for all generations through your son Christ. Lord, make it clear. Help us to respond to the call. Help us to not listen to the false father, the lies of Satan, but help us to rightly align ourselves and to hear your voice today calling that we can rightly say, you, God, are my father. Thank you, Jesus. And help us to honor you with our life. Regardless of our past, what we've done, help us from this day forward. Help us as men to live lives that would honor you and bless others. Help us as dads to live a godly example 
Because you give opportunities for new life and, and new beginnings. And sometimes that can speak a bigger testimony than us just continuing on the path that we're on. Even if we're later in life, life change speaks more than we can imagine. So let it begin with us as men, but Lord, also as women, as fathers and moms and those who are, are not in either one of those categories, Lord, but they're just open to being your child. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to align ourselves with you and help us to truly honor you as our Father in heaven. And we'll give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to sing this last song. And as always, I'll be here at the front if you'd like prayer. And some of our Stephen ministers can come up and be available if you want prayer. But you could make that decision right where you sit. And it really does matter also what you do when you walk out those doors. Mm-hmm.